0: Welcome to the Metro Detroit Christian Church Podcast. Up next, you will hear a message delivered by one of our pastors or guest speakers. We pray that you encounter Jesus Christ as you engage with this message. Let's make our way to our seats, open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Actually, let's start with Matthew 16, where Joe started our service today. Matthew chapter 16, 13 to 19. We'll just read the same verses he read. Nice to be with you again. Pastor Lisa and I had a wonderful time in Arizona last weekend. They got some amazing sun in Arizona. Wow. Three days of no clouds. Mid 60s. Brilliant sun. It felt like 80s. So, so there. Verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Also, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my ecclesia. The Greek word is ecclesia, not church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." I don't have time to do a fuller expansion on the word ecclesia. We've taught about it many times, but we're just beginning to scratch the surface of what the ecclesia is. Suffice to say that the ecclesia is a group of people that have the capacity to take on all the dimensions of God that's what the ecclesia is and Jesus is building that no human on earth can build that we need a human in heaven that's building that movement on the earth that's who's with us today that's who's over our service today is Jesus the son of man and he's building you and he's building me and he's building anyone who has ears to hear him into an entity a people He calls the ecclesia, a governing, ruling body that are taking on all the dimensions of God himself. So whatever you think of church, just let it be washed. We haven't even discovered who we are yet. Jesus says in this verse here that Joe opened us up with that we have the capacity in this ecclesia, in this... In this people that we are, there is a capacity to shut down hell on the planet. And there is a capacity to take the blueprint of what heaven is and cause it to be the cultural blueprint of nations. So, Lord, deliver us once again from very narrow views of ourselves. Now, so Jesus announces this ecclesia that he's building in chapter 16, and in chapter 18, verses 18 to 20, he reinforces the truth about the incredible dimensions of authority that he's investing in the ekklesia. He, he, verse 18, assuredly, I say to you, in Matthew 18, you got it? Yes. Assuredly, I say to you, I'm not lying. This isn't hype or make-believe. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, whatever you cease, whatever you stop from operating will have already been stopped in heaven. Whatever you loose, whatever you you say yes to operating will be operational in heaven already. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So this is another verse, a set of verses very similar to Matthew 16 that is speaking of the ecclesia. We know it's the ecclesia he's speaking about because in verse 17, look at verse 17, he's he's talking about relational conflict, and he says, if someone refuses to hear you, tell it to the ecclesia. And if he refuses even to hear the ecclesia, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So the context of this overwhelming authority that Jesus is giving to a people is the ecclesia. These two chapters, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, are the blueprints, the building, the architect building plans for what Jesus is building on the earth. They both unveil the incredible dimensions of authority that God is investing in this people. In Matthew 18, though, Jesus begins building a spiritual infrastructure around these dynamics of authority. This infrastructure is required to be in the pattern of our lives. We're not just religious services. The ecclesia is not just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on assemblies like this. It is that, and we had an amazing outpouring, the Spirit resting strongly on us today. But the ecclesia is more than just meetings. It's the people that make up the meetings. And there's a pattern Jesus is building. There's infrastructure that Jesus is building into people that can house this incredible authority, this incredible move of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have the patterns that Jesus talks about in Matthew 18 built within us, this outpouring will turn into a religious spirit next week or next month or next year. It won't be something spontaneous and fresh, real, vibrant, dynamic. We don't want that, do we? So, we want to read this chapter we want this infrastructure built into us do you want to be one that helps hold this wine that's being poured out in this assembly yes. or do you want one, one that detracts i want to be one that helps hold this wine that's being we're the wine skin the wine is the holy spirit the wine is the spirit of god poured out at the end of the age to drive the devil out of people, families, neighborhoods and nations. That's the wine. We are the wineskin. So let's look at what what is the nature of this wineskin that Jesus is building to hold the wine. Are you ready? We're going to go all the way through the chapter. <clears throat> what SOF3 person wants to help me read Matthew 18? Come forward now. It can be more than one. That was not a willing. You you <laughs> recruited him. That was discipleship at work. He said, Come follow me, do what I do. And Jalan said, Okay. All right. Eric. Read verses 1 to 4. Oh, he's the sound guy, too.
1: At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in the name in my name receives me.
2: Jalan, verses six through nine. Whoever causes one of these little children or whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the the offenses comes. Okay,
0: so that's a pretty incredible verse, verse 7. I think it needs to be read with a little more, just at least a little bit more of something.
2: Try it again. Woe to the world because of offenses. (laughs) That's better. Woe. Woe. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offenses come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or feet. To be cast in everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two, to be cast into hellfire. Eric, verses 10 through 14.
1: Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think?
2: Jalan, verse 15 to 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst of them. Thank you, guys. You may be seated.
0: Then Peter came to him and said, Lord... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he had So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So incredible chapter here. I had a student in our school of formation. We'd run, Pastor Lisa and I oversee discipleship school on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And in the first year students, one of the students preached out of this chapter this week. And they were just grappling, what is this chapter all about? It seemed very confusing to them. But as they observed it carefully, a truth began emerging from this chapter to them. And there's one of the truths that this person saw. Spiritual stature is interconnected with one's perspective on children. Spiritual stature is interconnected with one's perspective on children. Let's take a a little check right now in our hearts. What is in my heart about children? Because your spiritual stature is related to that perspective. So this person said, okay, I got to figure this chapter out. And they walked through the chapter, and here's what they saw. They saw this flow in verse 3 that says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is making a dramatic statement here. He knows the disciples in their current cultural grid have no understanding what he's saying, but he's making an amazing, amazing statement. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to convert You've got to change. Yes. Yes. However you are right now, if it's not childlike, we're not talking about childish. There's a certain attribute of the way children are that is the key to entering into the kingdom of heaven. And the requirement on us is to convert. He goes on then in verse 4 to 6, and he begins unpacking and imparting heaven's value system around children. He says, if you receive a little one, you receive Christ. If you cause one of these little ones, <clears throat> and if I would expe- step back and do a little bit of, 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 of teaching on little ones in the book of Matthew, it would mean children and also new believers. It's not just children. Children. But Jesus is saying here, if you cause a little one to sin, if your life is a stumbling block to a child, you're better off dead. It's quite dramatic. These statements, Jesus is opening up God's value system on children and new believers they have great value in verses 79 jesus goes on and he takes a left turn and begins talking about ruthlessly addressing sin in yourself it says if your right hand or your right foot causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away from yourself if your eye causes you to sin pluck it out And cast it away from you. It's better to enter life lame or maimed or without an eye than to have two eyes or two hands and two feet and be thrown into hellfire. So is that aggressive? That is like completely Jesus is talking about attitudes here. So that's verse 7 to 9. In verse 10, he suddenly comes back to children. And he says, in heaven, the children's angels always see the face of my father. What's he saying there? Well, this student, I'm actually looking at this student's, part of this student's word. Amazing revelation they got. His point is that children are not second tier. There isn't a move of God for adults and a move of God for children. There aren't like inferior angels for children. No. The children have these incredible, mighty beings that are facing the the Father himself ready in a moment to hear whatever the father says about that child, and then to go forth and do it, protect that child. Heaven is looking over children. So Jesus is is like, he, he begins unfolding this. Then in verse 11 to 14, he gives a parable about a shepherd going after lost sheep. His point is that children are not disposable. If you're pregnant, keep that child. Even if you got pregnant under not the right circumstances, the ones that are blessed by God, what's conceived in you is blessed. They're not disposable. They're not to be thrown away. They have such incredible value to God. Then in verse 15, what is the first word in verse 15? Moreover. So what Jesus is doing is he's connecting the next words with what he's just talked about in the previous 14 verses. This is all, connect- this is all one message. How many of you have ever read a chapter in the Bible or you've read some of Jesus' um, teachings in the Gospels and it seems so disjointed, crazy? You, you have to dig to get Jesus. Jesus Jesus is God. And he veils the wisdom he's carrying. The wisdom and power of God from the foundations of the world are being carried in his body and in his words. And he deliberately veils it to those who don't really want it. So you have to dig to get Jesus. Lord, I pray you would put a shovel in everybody's hands today and in my hands, and you'd cause us to dig deeper, dig deeper into who Jesus is. Lord, we just received that we have been called by God himself from the foundations of the world to take on the image of Christ. I just want to just release a wrecking ball into the room about any destiny, any vision, any plan that you have in your mind that isn't to become like Jesus. Lord, I pray you just wa- just remove it from our inner man, from our inner consciousness, and that you would cause us to embrace the eternal destiny of God, which is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Jesus is giving one sermon here. Moreover, he says, and from this passage, passage, he begins talking about and connecting, aggressively dealing with sin in each other. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. But if he will not hear you, take with you two or three more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the ecclesia. And if he refuses even to hear the ecclesia, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, there's so much authority, there's so much potential in this assembly. You can't mess it up with sin. So Jesus in this chapter says, listen, you've got to deal with sin. You've got to deal with it in yourself. And if there's sin, failures, weaknesses, dysfunctions in your brothers and sisters, learn how to function together so that that brother and sister becomes whole. Yes. Yes. You know, the ecclesia doesn't even work by meetings alone on Sunday. Yes. Impossible. Impossible. It requires a whole infrastructure of relationship. And one of the purposes of our relationship is to not shame each other. But to help us grow up in the areas of our vulnerability. Help us mature together. Jesus is saying, if you have that kind of lifestyle, it's going to hold the authority in place. The authority will be real. And that's what Jesus talks about next in verses 18 to 20. And then he ends the chapter with talking about forgiveness. How often should we forgive one another? Just seven times. That's when... The forgiveness ticket, just no more tickets. How many of you have ever had a difficult time forgiving? Lord, make us 70 times 70 forgiving people. One of the things that my friend, Apostle Ellis Smith, says, he says, and it just amazes me every time he says it. He goes, I am unoffendable. I cannot be offended. That's a spiritually mature person. Lord, deal with us until we're unoffendable. That's what Jesus is talking about in these last 15 or so verses in this parable of the wicked servant and the king and forgiveness, and he doesn't forgive his, his fellow servant. He's saying, you need a disposition that's unoffendable. So, that is Matthew 18. And verse 6, look at verse 6. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Credible. Hell-binding authority and heaven-releasing authority is connected to children. The reason I'm preaching about this is I've been sharing with our pastors in the last three weeks and how I'm watching the move of God on our children. They are coming forward spontaneously at ministry time without even their parents. We're we're getting videos circulating the body of children playing in their living room, singing songs that were sung in our SOF war room room worship times that song has somehow circulated through the body and now it's in their subconscious and they're singing the song of the Lord that came out in a meeting they were not at a couple of weeks ago when we were ministering and I was ministering to some of the young people and some of the children I said publicly over the mic after I prayed for someone, I said, Lord, help us not screw it up. And someone asked me, were you referring to me when you said that? I said, oh, no. I was referring to me. I was referring to all of us. Help us this when the Spirit is resting spontaneously on children. Be careful. You, you are tapping into the real thing. This is the real move of God. There is safety. There's reality. That is. There's nothing hindering them from coming. They're just coming. So Jesus says... If the spirit is resting on children, here's what you need to do. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. He uses the word scandalizo and scandalon. He says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better if a millstone hung around his neck. That word, causes one to sin, is the Greek word scandalizo. The word for offense in verse 7, woe to the world because of offenses, is scandalon. You got the at the, the noun and the verb form. Scandalon, scandalizo. The word scandalon means the movable stick or trigger of a trap. A trap stick. A trap, a snare. Any impediment placed in the way and causing one to stumble or fall. It's a stumbling block, an occasion of stumbling. So Jesus is saying one of the major issues in the building of the ecclesia is a stumbling block within yourself. There's something going on inside you. There's a trigger. How many of you understand the word trigger? It's been made very popular over the last 20, 30 years in the whole psychology of the nation. We understand this thing that happened triggered me. Jesus is saying, be careful about your triggers. Those triggers can become an occasion for you to stumble on the inside. And if you stumble on the inside, it's not just affecting you. I'm going to share about this more in a little bit. But there is no such thing as personal sin. Personal sin has a public effect. So Jesus is saying, don't screw this up. When God is moving and it's so real, it's so tangible, it's beginning to invade people's living rooms and the spirit is resting on, on boys and girls as they play with dolls and trucks and and they're singing songs spontaneously. Oh, deal with your issues. Jesus is equipping his disciples in this chapter. And he's saying disciples are to live in such a way that they don't cause one of these little ones to stumble. So he's saying if you have an st- issue that's causing you to stumble, deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it, a stumbling block is going to be put into the atmosphere, and the children are going to have obstacles. They're not going to be able to get through the obstacles to the Lord. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 19, 13 to 15. Do I have that one? The little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and don't forbid them. Don't hinder them. Don't prevent them. Don't deny them. Don't refuse them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from them. So, Lord, build patterns of living into us. Build these patterns of living where we don't give ourselves excuses to live with our triggers. You know, what? you know what a trigger comes with? How many of you can identify having a trigger in your life about some issue? We're not even talking about children. We're just talking about any issue related to sin. Triggers come with a sense of entitlement that I have a right to this trigger. Triggers often come with blame about something or someone that's causing me to have the trigger. Hey, your trigger is your trigger. Lord, take away all the excuses about my triggers our triggers you see jesus is pouring out his spirit on us he started in october it's been some of the most amazing outpourings We've had in the history of our church, and we've had many outpourings. There's something so special and spontaneous and sovereign that is resting on us. And it has been, it's, you know, it's, 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 it comes in waves, but it's not diminishing. Jesus doesn't want it to ever stop. He wants the building of the ecclesia to take on mult keep on taking on new dimensions until we're housing God. He wants progress, maturity, building. May you and I today have such a pressing in to the kingdom of God. Where we feel entitled to park it for a season in our offenses, our internal offenses, may such conviction come on us that we not be like our ancestors who would sit in church housing an offense or a bitterness for a month or two or three or five or 10 or 30 years. May we all, all, every single one of us, may we all be people that progress. Nothing hinders our growth. How many of you want to just keep growing, not stop? Paul says this in Galatians 5. Verse seven, he says, you were running the race well and making progress. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And then he begins talking about the things that produces hindrances into the environment of the ecclesia. One of them is this in verse 15. He says, if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Hindered. Jesus says, don't hinder the children. If you have something hindering you, deal with it aggressively. Because if you don't deal with it aggressively, the children will be hindered. Scandal on, scandal on, scandal on. Scandal on within, scandal on without. The word hindered means to beat back as in the course of a ship. So a ship is making progress, and then here comes this storm. It's like doesn't want the ship. How many, of you, how many of you have ever had a season where you seem like you're making great progress in the Lord, and then all of a sudden, a storm comes? It's like, pff, something just begins pounding on you. It wants to set you back. Jesus wants to equip us to go through the storm so our progress is unhindered, There's another Greek word that's used for hindrance. It means to cut into, to impede one's course by cutting off his way. Paul uses this word to speak of the satanic assignment to hinder him from connecting with the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 2.18, it says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, did time and time again, but Satan hindered us. Do you know that the instrument of hindrance in the environment of the Ecclesia is Satan. Jesus is saying, if we don't deal with our triggers, if we don't deal with our vulnerabilities to sin aggressively, then we can become a channel for something to begin introduced into the culture of the Ecclesia, demonic spirits. Just enter in and when the demonic spirits are in the culture of a people, they begin automatically affecting children. They just children just spontaneously take on the environment. So when we see these precious children with the spirit resting on them, singing the word of the singing the song of the Lord, oh We want that to go on for the rest of their life. So when they're 13, they're still singing. When they're 23, they're still singing. You know, disciples are aware of what Jesus is building, they're not just going to church, they're aware of what Jesus is building, and they're seeking to be co-builders with him. They're, they're aggressively, We're f- we, as, a, as disciples, we, we govern our life to cooperate with the building process. Our life is not about us alone anymore. It's about the people that are taking on all the dimensions of God. The ecclesia is a spiritual building. It's a spiritual building that God is building. It's a move of the Holy Spirit through a people to give the kingdom and then transfer it to the next generation. Inherent in what the ecclesia is, is a generational transfer culture. Really, some of the ways the church has been structured over the past several hundred years, Sunday schools were first started not as a tool to raise the children of the church. Sunday schools were first started, first introduced into the environment of churches as a form of evangelism. They were were a, a ministry of the body of Christ sent out into the community to tell children who are in unbelieving families about Jesus and to teach them the scriptures. Unwittingly, over the the centuries, is the church has adopted a very segmented view of of body life. There's youth, there's the youth group, there's the children's ministry, there's the adult. You know, many churches, literally, they literally structure their whole life. They have their corporate services on a Sunday, and then everything else is by age, age category. You got your 20 to 30 year old class. You've got your 40 to 50 year old class. You got your seniors. <laughs> Jesus doesn't see it that way. He's building a people. You're part of a people. You're joining to a people. And everybody in your family is part of the people. Even if you're, you are here and your spouse is unbelieving or your children are not following the Lord, let me tell you, they get the benefit of you being part of the people. This is such a family thing, the kingdom of God. The ecclesia is a spiritual house. It's a real house. It's the house of God. It's it's the thing God is building at the end of the age. Do you know the whole the whole the whole eternal plan is for this great spirit God the heavenly father to have a people that he lives in and among. And Manifestation of his presence among those people is so bright, like Pastor Grandy was saying, that it begins being a light to nations. The pattern for culture is is literally in the house of God. And it's so dynamic, it's so functional, that the culture ends up saying, we are so screwed up right now. We, 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 don't even know how to, we don't even know how to live anymore. We don't even know how to think. We don't know what's up and what's down, what's right, what's wrong. We, we have lost even the ability to define anything. We've lost definition. That's what's going on out there. Let me see. That needs more than just Sunday school classes. That needs an ecclesia, a people. That needs you. That needs me. It needs our families. It needs our marriages to take on a pattern of living that will not hinder the move that's on us right now. Because if we screw up, the move will be lifted and given to another people. It's a pattern, actually. Jesus builds through the book of Matthew, and he builds to Matthew 21. He says, tells the Jews, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you and given to another people. So this ecclesia thing that Jesus is building is, is no, you don't, play, you don't play around with this. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that we are the temple of God. That's what's being built. And if you defile this temple, he speaks to individuals, Paul does. If you defile this temple, you'll be destroyed. I'm telling you, the body of Christ, the ecclesia on earth, is the most potent, powerful, priceless treasure to God. It's his dream. It's the apple of his eye. It's everything he's thought about and felt about from eternity, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. So he he gives this strong apostolic warning. Don't defile this thing that God loves. Or if you defile it, you start inheriting destructive elements in your personality. So... Jesus, how many of you want the pattern? Have, have I created a, a desire? <laughs> it's called the fear of God. I am gripped right now with the fear of God personally. I'm digging deeper in my life right now to be conformed to the image of Jesus. to take on the patterns that he is building in this passage. And the patterns are just two. The two things, he says, are, are, are of utmost importance to disciples. One is personal holiness. If something inside you causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it away from you. Because your personal sin is not just a personal sin. It's a stumbling block for others. How many of you remember the story of Joshua in Joshua chapter 6, Joshua chapter 7, where he's leading the children of Israel into the promised land? The thing promised hundreds of years beforehand to Abraham is, is now, now is here. The time has come. And he leads the children of Israel across the Jordan River. And he gets instructions from the Lord on how to take the first city out. And God had already given instructions on what to do when you take a city. He gave it to Moses in Deuteronomy, saying, When you come into a city in this promised land, this, this city that's governed by demons, says, When you get the city, destroy it completely. Completely destroy it. All the people, all the children, all the women, all the men, all the animals, all the property, burn it. You can keep the silver and the gold and the bronze for the treasury of the house of the Lord, not for yourself. That was the instructions. And so he's leading the children of Israel in to the promised land. and they, they encountered Jericho. And the Lord had given them a pattern of how to take Jericho because you and I cannot take principalities and powers by human reasoning, by our own strategies. We must be under the lordship of Jesus and receive the patterns he's giving us. It's sober. But they got the pattern. The pattern was walking around the city Seven times, quietly, seven days. And then at the end of seven days, blowing a trumpet. And boom, using their voice. And at that, the walls crumbled. And they came in and they destroyed the city. They made progress. God likes progress. Lord, we thank you for the sin issues the demonic strongholds in our lives that have been taken aren't you aren't you encouraged that there have been some sin issues that have been conquered by christ in you thank you lord we're not who we were but we're not like jesus yet so we need to make progress so they were making progress, and everybody was excited. Wow, this is amazing. God is really doing what he said he would do. We are receiving. The promises are happening right before our eyes. We're increasing. The, we're getting land. And now it was time to go on to the next city, city of Ai. And Joshua says, well, this is a little city. I don't think we need to send in the whole host of the army. He says, let's just send 3,000 in. And so he sends 3,000 in to attack the city of Ai, and it just says that they went after the city, and then it says they turned away. The men of Ai came out and attacked them, and whatever was going on there, Israel was intimidated. These 3,000 soldiers were intimidated, and they just go running away, and the men of Ai go after them, and they kill 36 Israelites. And then it says, Israel, their hearts became like water. Their hearts melted with fear. Have you ever had your heart melt like water out of fear, out of, out of an a, a inroad that Satan has gotten into your life, and you feel sick about it? It's destroyed your progress. Have yep. you ever felt that way? Yes. That's what the Israel was feeling. And <clears throat> Joshua goes, What is going on here? I thought, I thought you were with us. I thought you said you're gonna take this, give us the cities, and what's going to happen in all the other nations in the promised land? When they hear that AI was able to destroy us. What is going to happen to your name in us? Joshua knew the, implica- the, 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 the implications of losing this battle. The implications were the name of God being wiped out on the earth. Because God's name is in his people. Your victory, your progress is important to God. Our victory, our progress as a people is very important to God because his name is among us. So he prays, Lord, what are you doing here? And God says, he says, he says, you know, the the elders and Joshua are on their face and they're putting dust on their head. And God says, finally says, Joshua, get up. Israel has sinned. They've taken... The devoted things, the the things that I told you not to take, they've taken them, and they're hiding them, and they're lying and deceiving about it. Now get up and call everybody together, and the next day I'm going to reveal who sinned. So Joshua gets all the people together, and says, the reason God has not gone out with us, the reason we are not making progress, is we have disobeyed the Lord. And they get all the tribes together, and it just says, the Lord took Judah, the tribe of Judah. We don't know how. Maybe it was by lots. Maybe they just, you know, pulled strings or toothpicks or whatever. But the Lord singled out, it's the tribe of Judah. Then from there, it says, it's the Azarela family. I forget how the, it, you say it. So he reveals the tribe, and then he reveals the family. This extended family is revealed. Can you imagine that? There's several million people here in the wilderness, and now it's been focused down to one tribe. Now we're focused to several hundred people from the, this family. Now the Lord says, now I'm going to begin exposing the man and so all the people of that extended family clan the men get filed before joshua no it's not that one not that one then finally it stops on Achan, the son of camry and joshua says okay what did you do he confessed he said man the robe, the Babylonian robe, it was so beautiful. I thought one little robe. It's not going to hurt. One little glance is not going to hurt. He goes, and there was some silver, some gold. I thought I just need some for my family, just to you know for retirement, and that's enough. That was enough. His sin, God called Israel's sin. He and his family were burned, and the presence of God came, and they made progress once sin was dealt with. This is the backdrop for Jesus' teachings and the apostles' writings about the ecclesia. Personal holiness makes a difference. There is no such thing as private sin. Achan's personal theft was Israel's sin and hindered the progress and possessing of the promised land. So Jesus says, He imparts to the disciples an aggressive cutting-off-and-casting-away lifestyle. Say, cutting-off-and-casting-away. Cutting-off-and-casting-away. Lifestyle. Lifestyle. If we are experiencing an occasion to stumble within ourselves, deal with it aggressively. God has not been passive about our sin. This is the greatest news on the planet. Look at this verse in Romans 8, verses 3 to 4. Let's read it together. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once for all. Is that aggressive? Talk about aggressive love. God didn't deal with the disordered mess of your internal world or my internal world. He didn't deal with it remotely or as something unimportant, but he himself, he himself, God himself went for the jugular. He went right into the midst of my sin, right into the midst of my bad attitude. God went there through Jesus. He didn't even send his son, and he's off in heaven. It says God was in Christ reconciling the world. God went there. God was aggressive with your issues and my issues. And what Jesus is saying when you are aggressive with sin and cussing, you are getting God's aggressiveness. It's not just your willpower. It's God going for the jugular when you say no to entitlement. No to that attitude. It's God. God is releasing his going for the jugular power and authority. You are getting God when you are saying no to sin. That is grace. The grace of God, Paul tells Timothy, Paul tells Titus, the grace of God comes on, it appears to men and women, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. How many of you want an increase of the grace of God on your life? And I just want to just encourage you not just to raise your hand, because that's what we do whenever the pastor says, how many want to do this? And everyone raises their hand. I believe God wants to increase grace in our assembly to say no to sin. Let there be an increase of grace on a level where chronic strongholds have have been at work in people's hearts and lives and minds and family systems. The grace of God like a battering ram teaching you on a more fundamental level than you've ever been taught before. Teaching you to join with his jugular, his, his hands that are going for the very jugular of that sin nature. This is what he's calling you to. Let that grace increase. You will see, you will see this week a logger jam beginning to unjam. if you will cut off your hand and cut off your feet and pluck out your eye and do what God has done in Jesus Christ, go for the jugular of that thing. Don't give yourself one excuse. (gasps) There's no such thing as private sin. Achan's personal theft was Israel's sin There are some obstacles, some hindrances to unbelievers coming into this house. This week and in this month, leading up to the day of power, grace is coming to remove the hindrances. When we take the cross to ourself, you are taking the violent action of God, the sword of the Spirit, into your inner man to be ruthless, to cut off and cast away the occasion to sin within you. All of us living in such a way makes the highway smooth for the next generation. Jesus goes on in Matthew 18. So the first issue that we need, this pattern, is personal holiness. The second thing that Jesus builds into the culture of his ecclesia to make sure that the progress continues from generation to generation, is working through relational conflicts appropriately and working through forgiveness. Matthew 18, 15 to 19, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. We are needing... Strengthening of that verse in our corporate culture. If you have concerns about someone or something, go to them. You don't go to a pastor first. You don't talk about it with other people in your life. a concern you have about another brother or sister that you discuss with your friends is gossip. Now, Jesus, before he gives this instruction about if your brother is sinning, go and tell him his fault. Before he gave that instruction, he gave Another instruction in Matthew 7 about an exercise you are to do first before you see a fault in your brother. This is very important, that we actually build a culture of conflict resolution based out of the word systematically, not just bits and pieces. And Jesus tells this in Matthew 7, 3 to 5. Why do you look? at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? Or how can you do Matthew 18 and saying, go and tell your brother his fault, when look, a plank is in your eye? Hypocrite. First, Remove the plank from your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What Jesus is saying here is that in most conflicts where we are having really strong feelings about the other person's issue, there's a plank in your eye. You're not seeing clearly. If you're all embroiled and worked up on the inside, you've got a plank. You're not seeing clearly. When you're seeing clearly, there's a certain calmness about it. A certain, you're disconnected from their fault being an issue that affects you. Jesus instructed his disciples that before you go and deal with a conflict with your brother... You need to go through a process of discerning what's faulty within your perspective, your eye. Let me say this again. Jesus instructed the disciples that before you go and deal with a conflict with your brother, you need to go through a process of discerning what's faulty within your perspective. An environment of dealing with relational conflict must be accompanied by an intense work of growth in self-awareness and adjustment in one's perspective. Let me say that one again. How many want to be built into the ecclesia to see the move of God continue to build and increase and hit the next generation with no hindrances? You and I must grow in self awareness. We have to do the intense work of discovering what's in the fourth window. The third window. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Jahari window. <laughs> Help me here, Lisa. Pastor Lisa, you want to share? it? I'll try to do it if you want. Okay. So <clears throat> every every human being has four categories of consciousness. The first category is the things that you are aware of and others are aware of. Did you know that I'm wearing a black shirt with white polka dots on it? And no, they're not cookies. (laughs) I was offended when someone, last time I wore this shirt, said, oh, you got cookies on your shirt. I said, these are not cookies. (laughs) Okay, first category, what I know and what you know. Second category is things I know about myself that you don't know. Did you know that I had a dog named Sandy when I was a kid? No, that was a piece of information that you didn't know that I did. I just brought it from the second window to the first window. We both know now. We all know. All right, then there's the third horrible, horrible, horrific, <laughs> the, just the worst thing on the planet category. Is the things you don't know about yourself that others do know? Is that the worst? God help us. No wonder it's taken a couple thousand years for Jesus to build the ecclesia. (laughs) The last category are the things that you don't know about yourself, others don't know about yourself, that Jesus knows about you. Jesus is arranging the circumstances of your life to bring things in the category three and category four into category two or one. That environment is essential for you to have a non-religious experience of the blood of Jesus. Yes. 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 Prophetic encounters that are lacking growth in self-awareness become a religious spirit. Prophetic encounters with the cross that are lacking growth in self-awareness become religious spirits. John says it like this in his, his epistle. If, if, if you've got a sin issue, bring it to the light, and the blood of Jesus will just go to work. Blood likes light. So if all of us have dimensions of darkness that need to be brought into the light, that's what's going to keep the blood strong. Boy, it's quiet in here today. You know what's happening to you and I today? Jesus, Jesus is the chief cornerstone in the Ecclesia in Zion. And a cornerstone gets placed, and every other stone in that house aligns with that cornerstone. And periodically, the Lord, if if a stone gets out of alignment, God just breaks up how it's aligned to realign it. We're having some breaking up in our culture occurring right now. The purpose is so that you and I can be aligned to the cornerstone. Jesus instructed his disciples that before you deal with a relational conflict, go through a process of discerning what's faulty within your perspective. Then go through a process of Correction, repentance with the Lord until your perspective is really clear. Then you're in the right spirit to do Matthew 18 and go to your brother where Jesus says, Go and show him his fault. I believe a better way to approach your brother or sister, a better thing to communicate. Rather than saying, let me show you your fault. (laughs) Would you like some different language? Because maybe your perspective is not yet completely 100% aligned. So maybe there's still some Jahari window stuff that you don't know about what the other person's experiencing that is affecting what you perceive as their problem. And you need more information. So, a better thing to say is, this is my experience. Help me understand what's going on within you. Do not do this. To not go through a process of self-growth and self-awareness and to not go through the difficult process of working through conflict creates an environment of stumbling blocks for children and new believers. To not do this and discuss it with others becomes gossip. And gossip is destructive. Look at these verses. The words of a gossip are like choice, dainty morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Be honest with yourself. How many of you, when you're ready to hear some brother or sister talk to you about something going on with another brother or sister, and it's like... "Mm -hmm." Give me that information. <laughs> it's like a chase, uh, 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 like a uh, uh, a choice dainty morsel. Gossip. It goes down to the innermost parts. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Lord, I pray that you would help us strengthen our boundaries in the ecclesia. To keep secret what's supposed to be kept secret. Yes. 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 Yes, Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. We don't want separating of close friends. So we don't want gossip. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, backbitings, whisperings, arrogance, and disorder. So that's why Jesus ends this chapter, gives the greatest weight in this chapter to the issue of forgiveness. We've had lots of teaching on forgiveness in our church over the years. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on forgiveness. Except just to say that it's critical that we keep forgiveness in the forefront of our hearts. And work through the arduous process of forgiving one another. Paul ties it, forgiveness, into the way we grow up as a body. In Ephesians 4 31 to 32, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I believe that today, There are two things that are working in the culture of our our ecclesia that Jesus is building. I believe there's a sword going through to reveal, cut, expose areas in our life where we're not lining up to this pattern of personal holiness and mature relational conflict resolution that results in forgiveness. The Lord's exposing those patterns within us. He's also releasing oil, oil for our hearts. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Jesus said, I can't pour new wine into old wineskins. Old wineskins can't handle new wine. They get brittle and they'll break up when the new wine comes in. So the Lord has to create new wineskins. I remember a chaplain when I was in college at the university I was at, he said, you know, God can do create a new wineskin two different ways. He can just start over and give have a new wineskin. Or he can take an old wineskin and just knead it with oil. Just put lots of oil in that wineskin. And that, new, that, wine, that old wineskin that has lots of oil can receive the new wine. Lord, I want to ask that oil be poured out in this body. As your sword is, uh, has been released and it's going to go through our homes and our hearts and our minds our subconscious throughout this week. Let your oil be working in our hearts. something inside you is feeling such an earnestness right now that a pattern of a lack of personal holiness, a pattern of immature dealing with conflict is being exposed to you, and there's a great earnestness to seek correction on the inside of you, I just want to invite you to stand up and... We're going to pray for you, a special impartation of building. Pastor John, Pastor Heather, Pastor Grandy, why don't you come on up and help me pray. Come on up to the stage. gonna grab the mic there. Lord, I pray for infusion right now of oil into the wineskin of these hearts where any brittleness, any hardness of heart is seeking to entrench and set in that there be great infusion of oil into these hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would give endurance to these, Lord, your saints, (laughs) these building blocks, these living stones that are part of your temple. I pray you'd give them endurance to go through the process of rebuilding a new pattern, a new culture. By the authority of the name of Jesus, I cut you off from the ancestral patterns of relationship conflict that have been set into your DNA. By the authority of the name of Jesus, I cut off generational curses of sin. The sin dispositions that travel down generationally. We break your power. Every demon that is causing these sin issues and wanting these sin issues to play out in these bodies, we break the power of these spirits that were on their fathers, their mothers, their forefathers, and we break your power. We silence you. We cut you off, and we cast you away. Lord, let them deal with their own sin at the sins of their ancestors by the power of the name of Jesus.
3: Jesus, thank you that you have provided the perfect solution for personal holiness. You have provided it. The blood of bulls and goats could not do this. But your sacrifice, Jesus, is perfect. It is perfect right now. So every place now, every place where the light has been shone, and you've seen something this morning as Pastor Peter has spoken, I release to you the power of that blood, of that perfect sacrifice that makes you perfect. Yes. That makes you perfect. Yes. And puts power within you by His Spirit to cut it off. Throw it into hell for it to be burned up
4: Lord I thank you for your oil that's being poured out into people into actual lives to soften us to make us stretchy again so that we can receive from you Lord Yes. receive your oil Lord I thank you that You are bringing your kindness to us this morning. Your oil is is kind. And you're pouring it out to bring repentance. You're pouring it out so that we would turn. Turn to holiness. Lord, I pray, Lord, that each person here would... Each person standing. Yes. Each person standing would receive... A special, a special dispensation of oil.
0: Yes, Lord, we ask for this.
4: Yes. Right, these people who have stood up.
0: Yes, Lord. Who have
4: said, I am I'm wanting to change, God. Yes, yes You Lord. respond to their change. Yes. You respond to their response to you. And you say, I'm going to pour out oil. Yes. So pour out your oil right now, Lord. Yes. Pour it out into people. Yes. Pour it out into hearts it out into souls right yes, now Lord. that we would forgive, that we would turn, that we would no cut no off sin, no that we would cut off generational no curses no. and say, we are done with that. I speak an end to conversations of old, yes. conversations of old, yes. ancient conversations that have been coming from one generation to the next, to another, to another, to another, yes. about this situation, about that situation, yes. about this sin. I cut off those conversations right now and I say, end them, and end to these conversations right now. Yes. We will not speak with you anymore, you demons use demonic conversations we will not have these demonic conversations any longer we will have conversations with the lord we will speak with the holy spirit we will receive the blood and the water and the wine and the oil and the forgiveness and the kindness of god that's being poured out into our lives right now thank you god
5: lord we thank you today for this word of chastening because it means that we're dearly loved sons. Yes. So I just, I just thank you, God. Thank you, Father. I just lean in to say, Lord, take me and all of us together and train us yes. in this word yes. that we might be partakers of yes. your holiness. Yes. We might be the fullness yes. of God. We might yes, have Lord. in this house, yes, in this ecclesia, the fullness of God expressed. So I, I thank you, Lord. Lord, help each one of our hearts receive this word this morning. Yes, let us let us be removed from every home of origin chastening system, yes. which was imperfect, and let us be placed this morning and rooted in the perfect chastening of God. Yes. Because we're love sons, and let us declare the love of God over you as yes. you're chastened and as you are trained in a lifestyle of cutting off of sin. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this widow. I treasure it. I receive it. I just eat it down, that it might go down into into the into my at a cellular level, Lord, that we might be the house that you and we might fulfil your dream, God, that you have of a people on earth who are receiving the kingdom of God.
0: Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, in closing our service, we're going to just <clears throat> want to encourage you to. Gather in groups of two or three or four and pray for one another that the oil of the Holy Spirit would just go deep into each other's hearts. Now, if you're a guest with us or this is your first time or you don't feel comfortable <laughs> praying out loud, you're welcome just to participate and say, and, and say you know, I'd rather, rather not pray, but I just want to watch and see how this works. You're welcome to do that. Or... Those of you around invite guests to be part of your circle, or if you'd rather not, you may free free to go. But let's in this time pray for one another for the oil of the Holy Spirit, and have a good week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed wrestling with the Word and the Spirit as you engaged with this message. For more information, please visit our website at www. Dot metrodetroit.org and have a great week.